Good morning. Welcome to Colorado Life Church. How are you guys doing this morning? We're small but mighty this morning. Thanks for coming and being with us. Um, here's, here's, we're going to do a series called Coming Home. And just before I, I dive into the, the message, um, this is a series that's about what we call the spiritual dif- disciplines, prayer, meditation, scripture memorization, service. There's a lot more we'll talk about here in a second. But before that, I want to, for the next 20 minutes or so, I want to talk about what it, uh, I want to talk about um, God's view of us through the scriptures. For, I'm going to go through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in like 20 minutes, okay? So put your seatbelts on, because this is actually, I'm actually really excited about this. This is going to be a fun exercise. You're going to learn something about God and about the Bible itself. But here, here's where it starts. It all starts with this. From the beginning of time, God has wanted to be at home with us. From the very get-go, his design for us was to be with him. His desire was for us to be with him. And we see this starting in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When he creates everything in the world and he creates these two individuals, this, this Adam and Eve, and then it, we get the sense that, that there's this rhythm, this daily rhythm when they would walk in the cool of the day. Some of you are familiar with that, potentially. And, and, and you guys, if, if, again, if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens next. They, they, they mess up. They break the rule. And, and, and I, as, as a parent, <laughs> there was only one rule. Isn't it the worst parents when it's like, I just had one rule. All I asked you to do is just this, not do this one thing. And they did it anyway, and you know, they, they got in trouble. And, and so God, as a good parent, has to discipline his children. And, and, but also, as a good parent, God doesn't just discipline. He doesn't discipline them to the point where he disowns them. He just disciplines them, right? And, and he says things are going to change, and, and you can't stay in the garden, and things are going to be different now. But the, I'm going to fix things. It's not always going to be like this because I still want to be with you. Time goes on, and a guy named Abraham comes on the scene. And it's, it's kind of random how, how God picks Abraham. It's just like, Abraham, I want, I'm going to pick you and I'm going to bless you. And, and not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the whole world through you. You are blessed to be a blessing, Abraham. And then his son Isaac, he, God came to his son Isaac and said the same thing. Hey, I, that covenant, that promise I made with Abraham, I, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And then Jacob, and then continued on. And, and God blessed the, the whole world, it, it wanted to bless the whole world through, through Israel, and then Israel becomes this big nation. Um, if you're familiar with that story, you get to the book of Exodus, where, where God uh, it, it comes across to Israel in Egypt, and they, they're in slavery. And he says, but this is, and I'm not going to leave it this way, this is Exodus 6. He says this, I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. This is God speaking to, to, to the Israelites through Moses. He says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the yoke, under the yoke of the Egyptians. See, even here, God, I want to be with you. You're going to be my God. You're my, my people. Uh, you get to the, the books Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, the real page turners. Just as a show of hands, how many of you have ever tried to read the Bible and then got to those books and just kind of threw in the towel? Okay, thank you. Thanks for your honesty. Even in those books, in Leviticus, 
26, we hear God again talking to the Israelites as he's building, the, the, he's, he's brought them out of Egypt and he's made this covenant with them. He says things like this, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase in number and I will keep my covenant with you. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people think Garden of Eden. I, I'm going to walk with you, Israel. This is what I want. This is my desire, is to be with you. You get to the, the book of Numbers, and, and even amongst all those numbers, there's a lot of numbers in the book of Numbers that are kind of like, what is this for? But the, in the midst of this, you find God talking about a tabernacle. He's like, I'm going to dwell among you. Like, like you guys are in the wilderness with these tents. I'm going, I'm going to pitch a tent with you as well. And not only am I going to be with you, he talks about in Numbers how, and if you've ever read this, maybe you've caught this, he, he's like, I want you to put me in the center of your tents and then put the, all the 12 tribes of Israel around me. As if to say, this is the original bunk bed right here. This is my place. I want to be with you. Yes, I'm your king, and that's why I'm in the center, but I also I'm, I, I, I want to be with you. Um, that's in Numbers. Hundreds of, it's like a physical, the, the tabernacle was supposed to be a physical reminder that God was with them, that God wanted to be with them in the midst of everything. Hundreds of years go by, and a guy named King David comes onto the scene, and he really puts Israel on the map, literally. Like before this, Israel was kind of this, this nebulous nation kind of moving nomadically around. And, and David was able to establish the borders so that if you looked at a map during the time, they said, yes, this is the sovereign nation of Israel. And during that time, after, uh, after uh, David established those boundaries, he built himself a palace. And some of you might be familiar with the story. And he gets done building his palace and he says, OMG. He's like, literally, oh my God, I forgot you. You're still, I have this palace and you're still in the tabernacle. You're still in the tent, God. I'm going to build you a temple. And so he starts, you know, making preparations for that. And God comes to him and says, you know, I'm flattered. I really am glad, you know, thank you, David, that, that you would, you know, like make that offering. But here's, here's the reality. I don't need you to build me a house. You know, like, creator. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I'm really glad that you would make the effort, but the reality is I don't need a house. Because really, it's not temple, tabernacle. In, in essence, it's like, I just want to be, I've always gone wherever Israel has gone. I'm okay right here. A generation later, David's son Solomon would actually be the one that builds God a temple. And what's, what's interesting about the whole thing, well, that, that temple, is it, when he built that temple, he, it was one of the, most, the grandest things built during that time. In fact, look at this picture here. This is a modern-day picture of the Temple Mount um, um, here in, in Jerusalem. That's called the Western Wall, and then that gold is the Dome of the Rock. And, and actually, layers underneath there, somewhere underneath that sand and rock, is, is Solomon's temple. And Solomon uh, built this temple... Um, um, and it became the centerpiece of Judaism, of the Jewish religion, for, for the next thousand years. And that's why it's so important to Jewish people and, and Muslims alike today, is because this is a pretty holy, sacred ground. Um, 
it, he, he builds this big temple and he, and he dedicates it to God and, and there's this big high and fancy to do all these people come from all around and, and he says this is, this is God's house, this is now his, his dwelling place that we built for him. The God is so good, he, he starts to dedicate it to the Lord, oh Lord, there's no one like you and, and there's, he, big, he has this big long speech that he does with eloquent words and then all of a sudden in the middle of it there's this, there's this like he starts to kind of almost muse and reflect but he says this, this is First Kings eight twenty seven. he says, but will God really dwell on earth? It was almost like, like he's saying like God, here's this temple, this is awesome but time out, will you really dwell on earth? I mean the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. I mean, you've made the heavens, so how could they possibly contain you? How much less this temple that I've built? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Not only that, you, not only, not only that, you give attention, you even give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. It's like, God, you're this big God, and, and, and can I build a temple that you can dwell in? And much less than that, why do you even listen to my cries and my pleas? Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence today. How can that be? For, for real, how can anything we build or do for God be of real significance, right? And it's like during that time, I feel like God was, if he was there, he's like, it's significant because you're significant to me. Yeah, like I know the, this, this temple that you built is as big and as cool as it was for your time, Solomon. It's cute compared to what I can do. But it's still significant to me because, because you're significant to me. It's, in essence, you could almost say it this way. It, it mattered because God has always and will always cherish the efforts his children make to be with him. You, you see that? Because the God of the universe wants to be with us. When we make an effort to be with him, he cherishes that. When we come his way, he loves that. And yes, it's small. And yes, it's, you know, but, but here's the reality. Like, like I remember like, going back to David and you're like, oh, oh my, you know, I don't have a great place for you, God. I don't have a temple, right? I remember one time when my parents came to visit and Christy and I had just gotten married. We were in Lakewood, this little tiny apartment. They had to sleep on the couch. And I'm like, I'm so sorry you have to sleep on the couch. And my dad just looked at me like, I'm right where I want to be, son. I'm with you. I'm just happy you want to be with me. I don't care if it's a one-bedroom apartment with a couch. I don't care if it's a tabernacle. I don't care if it's a temple. God will always cherish the efforts that we make to be with him. Generations would follow and, and Israel would drift further and further from God. They would, yes, the temple was there, but they actually started to use the temple like, like oh, we have the temple, God's with us, we can do whatever we want. And they became almost like, like a kid that's just lived at home for too long. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're God's kid, but they're, they're lazy and they're like, you know, God do the laundry for me. God's going to take care of us. And, and they started to abuse that. And they, honestly, you, we, we would look at some of the practices that crept into their culture over time and say, that is not cool. It was, it was bad where it got to the way they treated the poor, the way they treated the outsider. And it got to the point where, again, God needed to discipline his, his people, his, his children. So he disciplined Israel, but he did not disown them. He disciplined them 
by allowing, this is around the time, if you guys remember the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, it was around the time when, uh, when they were, they were kind of taking over the world and God just basically said, okay, if you're going to go this way, I'm, I'm going to let that, this happen. And the Babylonians were able to take over and they, they destroyed Solomon's temple in 586 B.C. It was a huge blow for the Jewish community, for God's people. It was a huge, because all of a sudden they were wrestling with, okay, what is our faith without a temple? Like, like what, w- without a temple, what is our faith like? It'd be like, what, you know, like for us, like what, if we didn't have church, what would our faith be? You know, it might make us think a little bit. And through the prophets, and this, this is an interesting part of the Bible, through the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, the book of Esther, the book of Nehemiah, through the, that time, through that, the, the time of the exile for 70 years where Israel basically wasn't a nation and there was no temple, God spoke to them and said, but it's not over. I'm still with you. I still want to be with you. I, I still, and he started speaking about how he would restore them. But what's cool about the prophets, if you've ever spent time reading the prophets, you, you read about, you know, like, you're like, yeah, this is talking about what's happening in Israel's life, you know, 500 years B.C., that kind of stuff. But then you start to realize that God is, through the prophets, talking about something much, much bigger. That not only is God going to fix them as a nation, but he's going to fix this whole problem of us not being able to be with him, the up and down of our lives. He's going to fix that once and for all. And it's in the prophets we start to hear the term Messiah. It's in the prophets through Isaiah we start to hear that the virgin will be with birth and she will conceive a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. As if God is starting to speak in this, this low point in their lives, he's starting to speak, I'm going to take care of it all. I, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to lift you up, and not only am I going to lift you up, and not only are we going to be together, but I'm going to make a way that me and, and every, my, my children will always be able to be together through the Messiah. Christians believe that Jesus was that Messiah. In fact, the, the, the name Jesus Christ <clears throat> isn't like first name, last name. It should be Jesus the Christ <clears throat> because Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. It was, it's a title. So Jesus, uh, Jesus is born, and, and you can read about his life in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the, the gospel accounts, the accounts of Jesus' life, written by men who were with, with Jesus and watched him, or that, that interviewed men who were with Jesus. And what's interesting about, there's a really interesting phrase that maybe some of you guys know in the very first chapter of John. Um, we'll look at it here in a second. Don't put that up quite yet. John, John was actually the last one. <clears throat> he was the last one to write his account, his gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written theirs. <clears throat> excuse me, I need some water. Let me grab some, I got some right here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written theirs. <clears throat> and John, John got to the point where people actually had to beg him to write his. He was a, an older man. And they're like, John, we like your stories, but you ain't going to be around forever. Can you please write some of this stuff down? And so John wrote one of the most beautiful uh, uh, phrases in Scripture. The, the first chapter of John is one of the most beautiful musings of what it was like to walk with, with Jesus. And he calls Jesus the Word. 
He says this, you know, he, he starts by calling Jesus the Word, the Word, basically the Word of God, like the Son of God. He was the Word of God. He was the Word. And he says this, in the beginning was the Word. This is John 1, 1. And the Word was with God. And, and in fact, the Word, this, this man, Jesus, actually was God. We, we, we saw him do enough things that we started to realize this isn't just some ordinary man. This, this child that was born in the manger wasn't a normal child. He was with God from the beginning. He actually was God. And then he says this phrase, and this is so important for our discussion today. He says, the word became flesh. This is in, in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelled among us and made his dwelling among us. And this word dwelling is so cool. This word dwelling is the Greek equivalent to the, the Hebrew word tabernacle. So, so the word became flesh, God became flesh, and he tabernacled among us. I picture little baby Jesus in that manger kind of settling, but, ah, this is right where I want to be. Here I am again. It started with a tabernacle, then it was a temple. Lastly, it was a person. That God, Emmanuel, would be with his people. Little baby Jesus would say, I'm back with my people. Shortly after, during, during the time that Jesus was born, what was happening with the temple was um, Herod, uh, a generation before Jesus, uh, Herod had rebuilt and expanded the Jewish temple. And so, and he did that not because he, he was Jewish, but because it was a good political move. It would buy the favor of the Jews. And, and do you guys remember in, in Roman history, uh, uh, Pax Romana, the idea of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome? The peace of the Pax Romana was this idea that uh, the peace that ex it was it was an idea to establish peace between the existing nations within the Roman Empire. So this was Rome's way of appeasing the Jewish people by by letting letting Herod build them a temple. But you, as you can imagine, if any good Jew would look at this, they, they they were able to worship, but they did so under the eyes and the rule of the Roman Empire, and they didn't like that so much. So any good Jew during that time, when they thought of the Messiah, they would think about somebody coming in and kicking out those people, getting, getting, getting those bozos out of the temple, you know, so we can be a nation and we can do our thing and that kind of thing. So as you can imagine, as Jesus was called the Christ, as Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, people were interested, what, well, what do you think about the temple? What do, you, what do you think about us as a nation? And, and Jesus had some really inter, in, interesting interactions with the temple. It, starting when he was a kid, Luke, in chapter 2 of Luke, he tells us about this time, when this is the only time, only account we have of Jesus as a kid, as a 12-year-old. Um, Mary and Joseph had taken uh, Jesus and, and the family to Jerusalem for Passover, which was a, you know, a journey for them from where they lived. And while they were there, they lost Jesus for three days. Okay, yeah, I don't know if you remember that, but for three days they lost Jesus. Now, I don't know what you would think that conversation would look like between Mary and Joseph. You're like, you lost the Son of God, Joseph would say. It, you know, or she would, you know, Mary would say, you lost the Son of God. And Joseph would be like, mm -mm, he's not my son. Miss Immaculate Conception. Come on. Like, like, you know, yeah, it was probably a horrible, I'm sure there were some bad, horrible things said. They go back to Jerusalem. They find Jesus and they find him in the temple. 
And Jesus looks at them, and they're, like, they're all worried. They're like, what? Where have you been? You know, the whole thing. And he's like, where do you think I've been? Of course I'm going to be in my father's house. And they're like, whatever, just get over here. Like literally, like they say, it, the, Luke says, they didn't get it. <laughs> but Jesus, like Mary kind of took those things to heart. But of course I'm going to be at my father's house. This is where I'm going to be, the temple. Years go by, and as, as Jesus uh, starts to, to, begins his ministry, he ruffled a lot of feathers because, uh, because of his views and the way he talked about the temple. There was one point in time where he got into a dispute over the Sabbath and Sabbath laws with, with some religious leaders. And they're like, can you heal on the Sabbath? You know, like, can you heal? You know, like, you're, he was in a synagogue and that kind of stuff. And he, he finally just said this phrase. He, he, he said, he said, I, he's like, I, I tell you the truth, there's one here who's greater. There's something here that's greater than the temple. And when, when he said that, people took a step back. They're like, wait, what? And he just mic dropped and left after saying that. And, and, and there's, there's times like that. Anytime like Jesus was got in a fight about the temple, at the end of that, the people, the religious leaders were like, we got to kill this guy. And they had discussions because what he was saying was so bold and so ridiculous there's another time that Jesus went to the temple and he saw a bunch of money changers and merchants there. Some of you are familiar with this story. And he chased them out. He started over throwing over their tables and saying, get out. Oh, and he also chased them out with a whip. <laughs> I want to see a painting of Jesus with that. You know, like those little angelic paintings of Jesus with like the halo or the light around it. I want to see him with a whip. <laughs> Chasing merchants and money changers there's a system that was that had crept into the temple system where in order to to buy something from the temple you needed to have special temple money certain currencies and they would extort the prices and then in order to you and, and jesus saw this and he was furious not just because like that's wrong because but because he had zeal for his father's house because this this is the temple y'all he, he, this, is, this is where people were supposed to be able to come and connect with God. This was the, the, the most imminent presence of the living God was in the holy of holies of that place and people were getting ripped off coming through the doors. He hated that because he knew God the Father wanted to be with his children. And if his children were turned away and turned off by the temple system, they wouldn't be with the Father He's throwing things around and finally security arrives and they're like, by what authority are you doing these things? What makes you think you can do this? In fact, give us a sign that says you have authority to do this. He's like, I'll give you a sign. Tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Isn't that, stop and think about this. Everything we've been talking about with the temple. Think about what Jesus is saying through that. And, and they, at first, they scoff. They just are like, are you kidding me? It took 40-some years, took hundreds of men to build it. You, you're not going to build it. And he's, and he's like, you don't get it. Because what he was talking about was his body. He wasn't talking about bricks and mortar. He was talking about himself because the new temple had arrived. The new plan for God to be with his people was in their midst. He says, I'll give you a sign tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Again, they got so mad that they, they said, we got to kill this guy. And in fact, if you, if you know the story about how Jesus was arrested and how he was tried, 
a lot of, like some of the accusations that were thrown out to get him convicted to be crucified were about the temple. They said, hey, hey, listen, Rome, this guy said he was going to tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. That, that's, gonna, you know, that's not good for the Pax Romana. That's not good for the peace of Rome or the fragile relationship we have. This guy's an insurrectionist. You need to kill him. When they finally got him onto the cross, they were hurling insults at him, right? And one of the insults they hurled on him is like, he said he could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now he can't even come off a cross. Jesus died. And as, he was, and, and as he died, something strange happened. A few strange things happened. It got really dark. An earthquake happened. And probably the most significant thing that happened when Jesus died was the, the curtain in the temple that, that separated the whole, most holy of holies, the, the presence of God from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You catch that? Like, like, and this is such a significant event that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that this happened right as Jesus was dying. They're like, you need to know that when Jesus died, that curtain that separated us from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, when Jesus died, it made it possible for believers to go directly into the presence of God. Through Jesus' death, God was able to achieve unity. He was able to be with his people once again. We could once more be at home with God. No more sacrifice, no more temple, no more priests mediating between us and God because of our sin. God, on the cross, Jesus was able to, to peel back all the layers of the sin, our sin, the thing that separates us. It, it, that shouldn't surprise us that sin separates us because when we sin against each other, it, it separates us, right? When we hurt each other, it's hard to talk to each other. We, like, we got to do some work. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he took all those layers of sin, all those layers between us and God, and took them away. Fast forward. This is so cool, guys. Fast forward to the end of the Bible book of Revelation. This is the second to last chapter in the, the whole Bible. So we've gone Genesis, Revelation. Revela in Revelation, th again, this is John, one of the disciples, as an old man, he, he saw a vision. And he saw a bunch of visions and he wrote them down. And as, as the visions are coming to like a pinnacle, like this is like, this is the moment of the book. This is the high point. After God has, has, has has vanquished the world. He's, he's come and he's done away with evil. This is what happens after he wins. This is, this is his victory march right here in, in chapter 21. This is 21 verse 1. John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw, verse 2, the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Can you picture it? How they make a movie about this? A beautiful city coming down from heaven. And then this is the good part. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell, there's that word again, 
with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Heard that before? Yeah, we've heard that before. Because that's been God's desire since day one. That's been his desire from the very beginning, is to be able to be with us, to walk with us. Look, God's dwelling place is now among, it's almost like now it's finally among his people. And he dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Think about those four words, please. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed. Their hearts are meant to read this and long for it. For, to long for the day when that stuff, when death dies and goes away. I don't, I don't want us to miss something. I want to go back to verse 2 and, and read it again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. Catch this, okay? I don't know what you think of if you think about heaven or like what it's going to be like or, you know, this eternal sing-along with white robes, toga party. I, you know, like, like, like this, is, this is different and this is meant to challenge and make us think about what heaven is. Heaven is not us leaving this dirty, old, dingy earth and going to be with God because we messed it up. Heaven is God once again coming down to us and redeeming everything that we've done wrong and, and the pollute, the, this, the, we've, we have messed up this world. We, I just heard this the other day, that in, in by 2050, there will be more pounds of plastic in the ocean than fish. Oh, that sucks. God will take care of that. He won't just be like, again, he won't, he, he won't disown it. <laughs> He'll clean it. He'll redeem it. And once again, in this beautiful vision that John sees, this final act of once again God coming to us. Gives me chills. Because that's what he's always wanted to do. It's right where he wants to be. Right there with us. Here's what I want us to see through this you know, Genesis to Revelation thing. God has always wanted to be with us. And he's done everything in his power to make that possible. He sent his son to die for us. He, he's, 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 he's preparing a place. He's, he has a plan for redeeming the world, this broken world that we live in. He's done everything in his power to be with us. And all that's left for us to do is to come home. All that's left for us to do is come home. And, and see, this is why, going back to that thought we had earlier, this is why God always has and always will cherish the efforts that his children make to be with him. This is why any time we take a step towards him, any time we say, I, I, I'm going to, I, want, I want to be closer to you, God, he loves it. That's why he cherishes it. And see, this is why the, we are doing this series, Coming Home. It's, see, this series is an invitation 
It's about the invitation that Christ has given us, not just to save us, but for us to actually be with God. Coming home, is, is, as we look at the spiritual disciplines, is about being personally connected with God, with a God who longs to be connected with us. It's, it's the, see, the goal of this series is very simple. It's for us to feel at home with God. It's my, uh, we've been praying for you as a staff by name this week. And, and one of the things we're praying for with this, this, this series is that you might just have even just one moment, one encounter, one time where you feel close to God, one time where you feel at home with him through the spiritual disciplines. And here, here's the spiritual disciplines. Here's, here's, uh, th- this is a list of them. That's, it's not all of them. It's not limited to do just this, but prayer, scripture, meditation, scripture, memorization, fasting, service, giving, worship, fellowship, getting out in nature. Can I get an amen? amen? Study, confession, celebration. Those are all different spiritual disciplines. There's not a set list because there's so many of them out there. Uh, God has provided us so many different ways to connect with us, which makes sense because he wants to, us to connect with him, right? So he, 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 it happens in a lot of different ways. But we, we want you to come home and we want you to come home daily. Here, we have a gift for you and we'll give this out. The ushers will give this to you um, when the band comes up again. We want to give you this today. It's a key. If you can't see, it's just a, a simple key. And we were talking about it as a staff, and it's, it, we, we agreed that when, when, it was like when Jesus died on the cross, it was like he handed us a key. It was like he, he it's actually kind of like he handed us two keys. He's like, here's, here, here's a key that'll break the chains, that, that, that you can take off the shackles of your sin. And if you, if, you want, if you want that here, I've done everything to make that happen here, take this key and be free. And see, some of us have had those experiences. Some of us can remember a time when we gave our life to Jesus, when we gave our, you know, like when we said, we we prayed a prayer and we said, Lord, I need to ask you for forgiveness. I want to come to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And that was us using that key. If you haven't done that, that's what this key is for today. That's what I want you to be thinking about when you get this key. If you can't remember a time when you've you've made that that decision where you've kind of drawn that line, think about it that way. But it was, here's, here's what I want, and this is, this is for us that, that we consider ourselves Christians, believers, Christ followers. Is Jesus, when he died on the cross, he also gave us another key, and it was a key to come home. It's the key to the front door of God's house. <laughs> and through that, through, because of what Jesus did, we can open up the door. Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews puts it this way, that we can boldly come before the throne of grace. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus did for us as our high priest. We can open up the door and we can be in fellowship with him. And see, I think, I've, I've watched this and I feel like this is where a lot of people get stuck. Yes, that, you know, like we have this experience of God, I, I need your forgiveness, I need to be saved by you. But then there's this, this other side of things that not only does God want to save us, he wants to be with us on a daily, on a daily basis. When we have this, and, and the living God that catches this, the living God, the creator of the universe, hears our prayers, listens to us, 
takes, take, he w- if we will give him time, he will take it. Think of somebody, think of somebody who you greatly admire that's like a hero to you that you would, like, like you would love to get some time with them. <laughs> God created them. The creator of the universe wants to, to come home and be with him. And the way we do that in this world is through prayer, through scripture, meditation, reflection, and in the next couple weeks, we will focus on, we're not going to do all of these, we can't, we don't have time. But what we want to do is focus on specifically the ones that, that, that require us to, to seek solitude. Because there's just something about uh, going and, and taking out, carving out time in our schedule, in our busy schedules, to, to just, this is time with God. There's just something about that. Some of you, if you you have kids and family and that kind of stuff, you know, like, if you want to talk to your wife and you're like, we need to talk about this trip or whatever, you don't do it at 5.30 p.m. (laughs) When, you know, like, life's just, you're like, you have to pick, you have to probably schedule it at least a little bit in your mind, like, no, before, before we, you know, we, like, right as we wake up or or right before we go to bed, I want to make sure we connect on this. Same thing with God. And through prayer, that's our effort of, of putting the key in the door, opening it, and coming in and being at home with God. And we can do so through prayer, through, through, through uh, reading the word, and God will meet us there. Now here's the thing. This is who this is for. This is for the person who's returning to church and kind of checking it out. The person, person who's saying, I, I'm interested in being closer to God. I'm telling you, there's no better way to do that than, than through the spiritual disciplines, through, through pursuing some of this. And we'll talk about what that looks like. I'm excited for this series also for the person who's maybe about to throw the towel in on faith. Because I think that this, this, this uh, the, the spiritual disciplines might make faith come to life and make it, make it easier to, to take a second look at it. This, this, I'm excited for this series also for the person who's gone to church for years, and is go, you know, it, but sometimes it just feels like you're going through the motions and things are routine. This has a, a way of, when we meet God where he's at and things happen, it has a way of, of sparking our faith and revitalizing it. This is also for the person, and, and don't miss this, this is for the person who's really hurting right now. Because there's, there's, if there's a part of you that might resist this idea of like, no, I can't do this because I, I, I don't have time to pray. Like, my life's a mess, my, my marriage is a wreck, my finances, whatever, whatever's heaviest on your mind, if that's you, I, 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 I beg and plead with you, don't miss the next services. Don't m- miss part two, three, four of coming home. Because there's just something about being with God when and he's able to enter into our mess. We'll talk about this a lot more next week. If you're hurting, if you want to see life change in your life, this is a fantastic place to start. I want to do one last thing. I want to end by, by, with this. <laughs> This is the song that I picture when the new heavens, when, when, when Jerus- the new Jerusalem was coming down from heaven. This, I, I think, I, think I, I would bet good money that this is the soundtrack of what we'll be playing on that day. 
Yeah, you feel it. Yeah, with the guitar solo, I, every it, it's going. <laughs> Go ahead, cut it, cut it. When I said that I love you, I meant that I love you forever. Bum 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 bum, singing with, and I'm gonna keep on loving you. That was good, cause it's the only thing I wanna do. I don't want. It kind of breaks down here at this point. I just want keep on loving you. That's worship right there. Honestly, it really is like like us. That's God. We can thank Molly for leading worship today and Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> it's His desire for us. We can come home and be with Him. Will you? The question is, will we? See, he can't make us these things that he, he can't make us break open the chains. He can, he's done everything to break the chains. He's given us the key. He's also given us the key to come home. But we need to come home. He can't, he won't force us. But he's there waiting. Let me pray. Father, thanks uh, for the, your story. How from beginning to end, through thousands of years and through dozens of authors and hundreds of cultures, Lord, the message is the same. You want to be with us. I pray, that, I pray for the coming weeks, for the weeks to come, that we would be able to connect with you. I pray that even now, <clears throat> even this week, as we reflect on, on what it means to come home, maybe not even knowing how to pray, not knowing how to read scripture, that you would give us times that we can connect with you, that we would do what it takes to be with you. Be with us in the weeks to come. Lord, we want to see as you see. We want, we want to be at home with you. Would you help us to do that? Thank you for everything you've done to make that happen already. In your name, amen.